0: Folks, you may be listening to this as you are celebrating the holidays or the days leading up to the holidays. We here at VeloNews, again, have a great holiday gift idea for that cyclist in your life. Get them a subscription to VeloNews Pass or Active Pass, our two digital membership programs. VeloNews Pass gets you exclusive content on the site, plus a subscription to VeloNews Magazine, some cool other stuff. Active Pass, the list goes on and on. You get the content, you get the magazine subscription, you get coaching advice, access to events with Roll Massif. That list you can find uh, at VeloNews.com slash Active Pass. Anyway, right now we have a great deal going on for the holidays. Uh, 12 months of VeloNews Pass for $39.20. 12 months of Active Pass for $79.20. Again, great holiday gift for the cyclists in your life. Think about VeloNews Pass or Active Pass. Check out VeloNews.com forward slash active pass. Okay, let's get on with today's episode. Uh, welcome back to the Vela News Podcast. Fred Dreyer coming to you on a gusty, windy Tuesday here outside Boulder, Colorado. This is our uh, episode that will air the week of the Christmas holiday. We here at Vela News Wish you all out there in the cycling landscape a very happy holidays. Um, Andrew Hood is on the line today. We're going to talk about a number of uh, news topics that popped up this week. Um, second half of the show, uh, Chad Haga joins the show. Chad takes us inside uh, the Giro d'Italia, which his teammates Jai Hindley and Wilco Kelderman almost won. Um, and we, it's always great to, to catch up with Chad. Chad, like me, is a new dad, and uh, is adjusting to the life of um, not sleeping very much and um, long lists of honeydews. So um, I'm so psyched that Chad is Chad the dad, and uh, his dad watts will be no doubt powering him to big things in 2021. Before we get to that, though, uh, Andrew Hood, you are on the line. This is Christmas week, holiday week. Um, Take me through the, the Hood family... Christmas plans this week? Because I know your wife has a lot of extended family there in northern Spain. Um, how are things different this year? How are you guys going to be celebrating differently this year with due to COVID?
1: This is COVID Christmas 2020. It's the uh, virus that never stops giving. Uh, unfortunately, we're going to be in lockdown over here in Spain. The uh, infection rate is sky high. In fact, my uh, brother-in-law and his wife are infected with the coronavirus oh no yeah um and i had a scare this past week uh but luckily got two pcr tests cleared me i got the all clear and my wife as well so uh yeah i mean the bars are open but we've been avoiding the bars we've just been staying home doing the good thing and just uh, we're gonna have like a zoom call christmas you know i mean that's just how wacky and weird this situation is but you know, you're so close to the finish line. You don't want to like post up too soon and to pull a Eric Zabel and get pipped to the line, you know, by COVID virus. So, so we're we're just playing it safe and uh, just uh, hunkering down.
0: Yeah, I hear you, man. My my heart goes out to you guys with the uh, the family and the affection. and and all of our listeners and friends in the UK with what's going on there. Oh, it's awful as well. I know I've been in touch with a number of our freelancers and contributors in the UK, and I mean for them, it's like Christmas is canceled this year. Our very own Jim Cotton was like, "Well, Christmas is canceled." I will be manning the site and writing about bike racing because uh, there's no real real time off in holiday this year. So, you know, yeah, same sort of thing. We we actually celebrated our um holiday today, Tuesday, because it was nice outside. We like looked at the um 10 day forecast around the day of Christmas. And we're like, what's the like the nicest, warmest day where we can go outside to a park and socially distance ourselves and exchange gifts, but do so, you know, outdoors in sunshine. And so we we did that today. Christmas came early this year because of uh, of COVID and the ability to socially distance. Um, how's your how's your nostril doing then? Five PCR tests that has to be uh, you know stretching the nose.
1: Actually, six after this latest one. Uh, so yeah, it's not it's not the most pleasant of experiences. Let's put it that way. Uh, but it's uh, it's fast. That's that's the only thing good thing you can say about it. Usually, usually my nose you've seen my nose before they get a dig way in there mate so (laughs) so it's not the most pleasant of experiences but it's uh it is what it is as they say
0: well we of course wish all of you uh a very healthy and happy and safe um christmas or whatever holiday you may be celebrating festivus um feats of strength you know maybe hold off on those this year wait for uh Wait for the post-COVID festivus to like wrestle your uncle or whatever. Um, Hoodie, before we get to Chad Haga, we have a couple of news stories that I wanted to discuss that you that popped up this past week. The first involves Wout Van Aert and the uh, potential for him joining Ineos in 2022, and the second is a curious if um enlightening interview that Wilko Kelderman gave to the Dutch press about his Giro d'Italia setback um let's start with Wout so this uh, this story broke late last week and you know it had sort of uh, pro cycling agent written all over it that said Ineos is and Ineos Grenadiers interested in signing Wout van Aert for 2022 after his contract with Yumbo Visma is up and, you know, the potential for, um, Dave Brailsford, um, you know, filling one of those Ineos Grenadiers, uh, Land Rover type vehicles up with, uh, gold bullion and driving it, uh, you know, under the channel to Wout's house in Belgium. And just sort of like backing it up into the driveway, just this like, you know, SUV full of gold bars and just being like, here you go Wout. You know, you're on uh you're on Ineos now. <laughs> and of course, the internet was very upset at the prospect of Wild Werner joining Ineos. Um I feel like everyone is very upset at the prospect of any anyone very good out there joining Ineos. Um first of all, what do you make of this news being floated right now, this early in the game, off-season 2020 going into 2021 that Ineos potentially maybe could be interested in Wout van Aert in the future. Why is this happening right now?
1: Well, I think it reveals just how the whole negotiation game is changing in cycling. You know, we talked on the show here before the podcast about how, you know, the deals used to be made on the rest day during the Tour de France. And now we're seeing deals signed April, May. And of course, with the big hitters, these deals are more complex uh, more more multifaceted not only is it just a straight contract but there's all kinds of other players involved you know big stars like to ride their certain bikes or bring their sponsors across with them staffers mechanics all those things that go into bringing a star rider so that just it just reveals that things are more complex and the business is getting bigger and bigger right i mean you have lots and lots of money in play it's not like you know Patrick Lefebvre writing down on the back of a napkin saying, okay, we're going to give you, you know, so many, uh, you know, kegs of beer and uh, a stipend every month and you can join my team. It's, this is big business with lawyers, accountants and stockbrokers and uh, everybody else involved. So, um, you know, why did it happen now? I mean, yeah, it has its fingerprints all over it of, of maybe an agent, uh, getting that out there, just, you know, just gossip. I mean, it's, uh, there's no bike racing going on. So people are just gossiping. And so the word might've been out there. And so, uh, our enterprising friends over there at Wheeler fleets, the Dutch website, uh, got, got that little scoop, you know, who knows? It might
0: not even be true, <laughs> but uh, it sure makes for a good talking point, you know? Yeah. I mean, um, one of the first things that one of my knee jerk reactions was like, well, what team that has, you know, a big-ish budget isn't interested in signing Wout van Aert for 22, you know, uh, if Ineos obviously a team of great means, um, is potentially floating it out. They're like, Hey, we'd love to have Wout on our team. It's like, well, what team, w- what team wouldn't want to have Wout van Aert on their team? You know, this past year, he has proven himself to be the most versatile cyclist in all male cyclist in all of, you know, of racing, you know, winning monuments, uh, winning, you know, pulling in mountain stages, of the Tour de France, winning tour stages, winning time trials, winning bunch sprints. Like he's obviously this, you know, five weapon tool. So it's like, I mean, everyone, you know, every team would want a Wout van Aert. No team would not want a Wout van Aert. And so any team that has the budget has got to be in the like the Wout van Aert um, market right now. Um, but for you know, to, for it to be linked to Ineos, I guess it sort of like lets you know that like, wow, you know, this is this is serious, this is legit. Wout Van Aert potentially could become the highest paid cyclist out there.
1: Indeed, uh, and I think it's uh, just due due diligence by a part of uh, Ineos to to investigate signing Wout. I mean, like as you said, he's like the Leatherman of the peloton. He can just do about everything, and that's exactly the kind of rider that uh, Ineos needs. Right? They've never won Flanders or Roubaix. Uh, they need kind of, they need to kind of create this new fortress room around guys like Bernal and, uh, Carapaz. And to do that, they need some big, brawny new generation of riders to step into that space. And, uh, you know, we saw, uh, Ghana really emerge as a strong rider to fit that profile and as well as Rowan Dennis kind of really stepped up during this Giro. we'll talk about that in a minute with uh, Kelderman and then so you know having uh, Kiewikowski and then you have a couple of climbing lieutenants and then you put uh, Well Ed in there man it's like that's just like a bulldozer of a team that could just swamp the peloton for five more years um, so yeah, it's like if you're Ineos and you have the money of course you're going to try to sign him. question is you know will he leave? I think that I think that uh, Welfare now will have some loyalty to Jumbo Visma because they really you know, were instrumental in bringing him across when he was on that Pro Conti team, bringing him into the World Tour. Remember, he just joined the World Tour last year. And I was looking at his stats. Uh, he raced 30 days last year and I think 35 this year. So he's only raced not really even a, one full season in the world tour and he's already considered uh, a superstar in the sport and and the speculation is that you know this next contract will could make him the highest paid or one of the highest paid writers in the bunch so naturally it goes to Enios with with their budget uh, you know really everyone's telling me that their budget now is 45 million pounds a year which is about 50 million euros which is about 50 Fifty-three, fifty-four million dollars. So they just have huge piles of cash to burn. I mean, they can just, you know, they could they could burn money to fuel that bus to drive across the Tour de France. They have so much cash.
0: Now you have made the very, very controversial argument here. I mean, just ruffling feathers across the entire interwebs, that um, Wout Van Aert going to Ineos would be indeed a bad thing. Justify yourself, Andrew Hood. Stand up for your take. Let's hear it. I'm going to give you the platform to just breathe fire all over the good listeners. Why is Wout to Ineos a bad thing for cycling?
1: Well, I, my argument in the, in the column I wrote the other day was simply that uh, it would just stifle the competition. I mean, This year's tour was finally interesting just because there was a team strong enough to take it to Ineos. I mean, they've won seven of the past eight editions of the tour coming into this year's tour. And Wout Vernet single-handedly pummeled Aegon uh, Bernal. It was that day on the Grand Colombier when Wout was just at the front, just setting that wicked pace. And that's when Bernal finally cracked. And you remember that day, he actually, Wout just rode Bernal's wheel all the way to the top and Bernal was gone within 24 hours out of the tour. Um So bringing him, a, you know, Seducing him, paying him a lot to come across the inhales. I mean, it might make a lot of sense actually for Wout to do that. I mean, there's nothing stopping him. If someone was offering me five million bucks a year, Fred, I'd say, "Sorry, mate. You know, it's been, it's been great. It's been great working with you, but uh, I'm going to take the money and run." You know, <laughs>
0: <clears throat> don't get any ideas, Wheeler Fleets or uh, or Road bicycle uh it, it, Andy is ours. We're going to, so, well, that's a good, I guess that's a good way to think about it is, you know, if, if you, Andy, you are our Wout Van Aert, and if one of our competitors came and offered you the house, I would need to make some um, very difficult decisions on the staffing and headcount of Vela News to try and keep you. Um, and, you know, I would, I would have to like, cut some people's salaries, renegotiate, maybe jettison some people, maybe jettison myself. I would say Fred Dreyer, you know, you've had a good run here at news but Andrew Hood is the heart and soul of news We need to find a way to keep him. So I, I'd off myself. So th- that begs the question of like Richard Pluga as he looks at the... Jumbo-Visma landscape for 2021 and 2022, he's going to have some very difficult decisions to make. You have Sepp Kuss, who has emerged as this amazing climbing domestique. Obviously, you have Primoz Roglic, Grand Tour Threat. But, you know, that's, this is when I start to think of things like, well, you know, you had this Tour de France triumphant of Primoz Roglic, Stephen Kruiswick, and Tom Dumoulin, you know? Gonna have to make a tough decision about one of those guys going forward. What about George Bennett? He's a great climbing domestique, potential Grand Tour top ten guy, but like he's probably getting paid pretty good. Um, and you know Dylan Grownaway again, pr- one of the fastest pure sprinters out there, coming off of uh, you know controversial season. Um, I, I guess this is when you, as a team general manager, start looking at the at the headcount of the staff and and making tough decisions. What do you think? Yumbo Visma is going to have to do if the price tag for keeping Wout goes uh, you know, a little bit higher or or much higher?
1: Well, there's two things. There's two ways to handle that problem. One, like you said, uh, maybe chop a few heads. But the other option, of course, is to find new sponsors. Um, a rider like Wout has its own gravitational pull, and you probably could dangle that out there to sponsors and say, hey, come on board with us. Three years backing, five years backing as an important co-sponsor, and we can guarantee Wael wow Van Aert will be on in our jersey, and you will have access to him. You'll have be able to promote your company with Wael wow Van Aert, who is poised to become really uh, one of the biggest stars in the sport in the coming decade. Um, and I think that uh, you know, the, the, when you look at uh, Jumbo Visma, what I like about that team as well is they, they really try to compete in all facets of racing. They're not just like a Grand Tour machine. I think that's one criticism. perhaps at Enios, you know, they they have one monuments, but you know, they're not bringing sprinters to the races. They're not really devoting as much attention and resources to the monuments to the one days. You know, they're a Grand Tour racing machine, and they do it very well. Um, but what I do like about Umebomisma uh, is that they do, you know, they have grown a wagon. They have a strong classics program. They bring a competitive team to most races they go to and they've kind of created this homegrown culture it's not just a team of stars at Jumbo Visma i think there's a real affinity among the riders there you know it's kind of a dutch centric team international team but it has its own identity that's kind of they you know they've rebuilt that program from ground zero really when uh you know in the wake of all those scandals you know Rabobank left they have, remember it was team Belongo. didn't even have a sponsor you know, six, seven, eight years ago. So uh, Richard Pluga and that organization has done a spectacular job. And bringing in um, Wout is a a reflection of just how far they've come because even two years ago when he came into the Peloton, he was highly coveted already. And I think there will be some uh, loyalty there. And I think, of course, it has to be a competitive offer. But I, I would be pretty surprised to see Wout leave that organization because I think if he stays at Jumbo Visma, he is going to be the star. He'll have his home, own program just the way he wants it. Whereas I think if he goes over to Ineos, he might have run that risk of being slotted into that kind of Ineos Grand Tour train. You know, is Ineos going to let Wout Van Aert sprint for stages in the Tour de France? Yeah,
0: no way. No way. No way. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I, I like Wout with Yumbo Visma because they give him so many opportunities. And he still does kind of have that underdog feel to him. You know, he's gonna be taking on uh Dekunic Quickstep at the classics and it's sort of like the entire Dikunic Quickstep team versus Wout Van Aert, you know, Wout versus Matthew Vanderpool. Um, that's I feel like that's a more compelling battle when they're they're on teams from the Low Countries versus Ineos, which, you know, they're built around the grand tours and and Wout's big thing will just be, you know, big you know, pulling and maybe trying to win some time trials and then having the classics. So I'm with you. I, you know, if there are any listeners out there, who have you know, a relationship with a big multinational sponsor, um, and they can convince them to try and get Wout Van Aert to stay with Yumbo Visma. I mean, I would just call up Richard Pluga right now. I mean, remember Belkin? Remember their sponsor? They had Belkin. I think they made like USB drives or like charger, like off-brand chargers for your iPhone. I always thought that was a cool sponsor. Uh, maybe we could get them back. But um, that's definitely going to be a story we continue to follow throughout 2021. 20, um, next story. I want to pick your brain out is uh, Wilco Kelderman gave a uh, Dutch Dutch uh, GC climber grand tour guy who just never really can put it together, except he did it at the Giro. Congrats to you, Wilco Kelderman. Uh, gave an interview in the uh, Dutch media in which he said that maybe I could have won the Giro basically calling into question Team Sunweb's tactics during stage 18 of the Giro. That, of course, was the Stelvio day when Rowan Dennis blew up the front group. And um, Jai Hindley was the only one able to go with Rowan Dennis and Teo Gaggenhardt. And Wilco got dropped. And he has called into question the decision to let Jai Hindley go with the two Ineos guys. And why didn't they have Jai Hindley drop back and help me all the way to the line? Uh, The quote is, I would have come really close or I would have won the Giro in that Stelvio stage alone, I would have saved so much time if Jai had stayed with me, then it could have been very different. I felt that the confidence was not there in me with the racing tactic. Oh uh, yeah, gee, you think? Um, I've gone back and watched this a few times and Boko Kelderman is right. The confidence was not there <laughs> with him in the moment. Um and I, I think the big the big question is like, was Team Sunweb right to have lost confidence? In Wilco Kelderman during that moment of stage 18, or should they have retained their confidence in him and held Jai Hindley back? Uh, Andrew Hood, gun to your head, what decision do you make in that moment?
1: Yeah, that was, that was a, it's it's one of those scenarios where I think that the armchair quarterback always is going to question what happens on race day. It's pretty easy to look back on that and, and say, whoa, this and whoa, that. But, you know, sending Hindley, when, when there's a rider attacking like that, I think you got to send someone with him, right? I mean, if, if Kelderman was so strong as he is, I mean, he later in the interview admitted that he wasn't strong enough to follow. Um, but, you know, what would have happened? You know, you never know what could have happened. Had, had Hindley stayed with Wilco, they both of them might have lost more time, right? I mean, the upshot of that was is Henley won that stage and then, um, you know, really stayed in contention really for the overall victory. Had Henley stayed with Wilco and they both ended up losing so much time, then there would have been almost no way for them to still have won the race. So I think when, when everything's happening in real time, you always want to at least position your team to still be able to win the race. And I think the right call at that moment was, To send Henley with Teo, Teo was going, and he he was very strong at that moment. He was, you know, he had uh, Rowan Dennis and the team, you know, really stepped up in that in that last few days. And you just can't let that guy ride away, especially when you have a rider like Henley who has the legs to go with him. Um, You know, if if Wilco was your guy that you've been in the trenches with for four years and you've won three Grand Tours, and you know you know that he can pull it out. To, yeah, maybe you sacrifice the guy and you stay with your proven captain. But as you alluded to, uh, Wilco, I think before that, you know, he's never been on a Grand Tour podium before, so he was still unproven in that scenario. So, you know, I mean, who knows? Shoulda, coulda, woulda. But I think at that time, Sunweb and Luke Roberts, I think they made the best
0: decision that they could. Yeah, you just mentioned it there, and this is my reading of the quote and also the tactic in the moment, which is that um, maybe Wilco Kelderman is thinking of himself as a bit too much of a star. I think if it's a star rider, if it's like a Vincenzo Nibali or even like a Jakob Fuglsang um, – maybe not a Fuglsang, but like a star GC rider, Chris Froome or someone like that, and they have been dropped and the young ingenue is still able to go with them, you hold the ingenue back and say, look, man – your job is to shepherd our star rider. He's won Grand Tours. He's been on the Grand Tour podium. We are focused around him. And if it's Wilco Kelderman, who un, you know, Wilco Kelderman's good rider, strong rider. He's not a star. You know, he's not a he's not a multiple time Grand Tour winner or someone who has shown himself capable to be able to do that. Like you, you make that decision to say, young. Now is your time to have the stage to yourself and you can like be the star of this movie, which is what happened with uh, with Jai Hindley. I mean, they ended up losing the Giro. They got second and third place overall. Kudos to them. It's a great result. But, um, you know, I I, I, I just read that in the moment as like, uh, you know, Wilco Kelderman is Wilco Kelderman. He's not Vincenzo Nibali, even an old older, not as strong Vincio, Vincenzo Nibali. Maybe you hold the guy back, you know, Chicone, You hold him back because, like, he's the, you know, Nibali is the is the proven winner. Um, I, I and and also you know, uh, Wilco Kelderman is leaving the team. He's going to Bora Hansgro next year. He's not um, a guy whose Sunweb is committed around for Grand Tour success in the long term. So, I, I whether or not that factored into it, um may have the fact that you know he's not coming back and so hey we have this young up and coming guy he has the ability to potentially win a stage potentially win the jiro you know we're going to go with him um the other interesting read here and you will hear from Chad Haga in the um coming interviews i asked him you know did you guys look back at the jiro have a postmortem and identify moments when you know a different tactic or a different strategy could have won you the overall and he said yeah we actually looked at stage 17 the day before the stage, the stelvio stage and there were a couple opportunities there's a big mountain stage to madonna di campiglio and um sunweb which was a very strong team kind of led to kuna quick step you know almeida was still in pink kind of let him control the pace the entire day and then tried to attack with hindley at the base of the climb um but it was actually Kelderman who, had, who then like bridged up to Hindley and dragged the entire rest of the group up there. And that kind of shut down the group. But uh, Chad was hypothesizing that, well, if they could have gone earlier in that stage or if Hindley could have really attacked and the rest of the GC guys kind of let him go, maybe that could have carved out a bit of time. But you know, it was, it was the day before the Stelvio. So everyone, was, I think, was keeping their powder dry. But in retrospect, it could have, you know, it's a potential missed opportunity for Sunweb.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting looking back at this uh, scenario, it, you know, some of the other comments that Kelderman said were revealing were how he said there wasn't a lot of joy in the final podium in uh, Milano with uh, Sunweb second and third. And he was just talking about how he felt, he never really felt at home on that team. He was saying how, he felt that it was so structured and so programmed that he really never had much say in anything about what he did at that team. Like some teams are just that way. They want the training and everything so specific that you can just follow all of this, you know, and then you deliver on the race day. Where other teams are a little bit looser, perhaps, and give riders more of a say about what they want to do, what kind of races they want to do. So that was interesting that Will Kelderman was saying he never really quite fit in with that team. And uh, we'll see how he goes, you know, going to uh, Bora could actually, you know, maybe give him a little bit more flexibility and how he, uh, he his um, season might unfold in going into the future. But, you know, the other thing, the other part of this equation is, is, you know, really, not, you know, taking in a lot of ways, his comments take away from what uh, Enios did with Teo. I mean, what what he did was this absolutely spectacular performance. I mean, you remember... Uh, going into uh, those final stages, you know, uh, Teo was three minutes off the lead. You know, two, two uh, 40 behind uh, Kelderman. You know, so if Kelderman was really, you know, strong, he he should have been able to defend two forty. Uh, if you're a GC contender, that's a big lead in today's cycling. So for him to to fold that dramatically, it, it, it look at it, It's a pretty hard way to uh pretty hard for me to defend Kelderman's comments saying oh gee I could have won the Giro had the team stay with me that day in the Stelvio." it's like no mate you had 240 lead on Teo and Enios, and you could not defend that lead on that day and then when you look at the final time trial I think he finished only five or ten seconds faster than uh, Teo and that TT which is supposed to be Kelderman's strong point too so I mean the strongest guy always wins in a grand tour and and, and you know a chapeau to uh Teo and Ineos, they pulled off a pretty dramatic coup. And I thought that's one of the best stories of the whole year.
0: Yeah, I call it the 7-10 split. You know, it's like your third place. You got two guys on the same team in front of you. And somehow you're able to, like, hit the pin and knock it over and hit the other pin. He he accomplished the cycling 7-10 split um, on, on that one. And and I just – yeah, I mean, I I – it's going to be interesting to see the next step for Wilco Kelderman. I mean, it's hard to for, it's hard to remember that like um, he was kind of up there with Tom Dumoulin, the same generation as like the Netherlands big GC Grand Tour hope there for a number of years. And Dumoulin obviously won the Giro and has gone on to, you know, really be a team leader. And And I, I'm with you. I hope that uh, a move to Bora Hansgrohe um, revitalizes his career, gives him some new motivation. But whether or not he will be battling for a Grand Tour overall, I guess is uh, just uh, something we're going to have to see in 2021. Um Andrew Hood, I appreciate you coming on the podcast as always. Um we are going to check in with you next week after the Christmas holiday and um we can discuss all the fun presents that we got and um that will be our final podcast of 2020. What a year it was, 2020. Um so for Andrew Hood, thank you so much. We're going to hear from Chad Haga now about the Giro d'Italia. <laughs> Thank you. So, Chad, the last time I caught up with you, um, it was 5 a.m. on like a random Monday. It was the Giro's first rest day. And uh, as to keep my one-year-old from waking up, I was under the covers of our like spare bedroom, like literally under the covers and like whispering. It's like, hey, Chad, what's up? If I wake the baby, my my wife is going to kill me. So we're gonna do a whisper interview. Um, but I think at, at that point, Wilco was not yet in pink, but he was looking real good. And like a bunch of the other contenders had, you know, the Nibblies and Fugelsang had lost a bunch of time. And on paper, it was sort of like oh, okay, Wilco's the guy who has the most experience, and like he's he's poised to take pink. Yeah, I mean, first of all, like what was your sort of analysis of that? of that Stelvio day and how it played out for Sunweb and then for Wilco? I think
2: for the team, it played out pretty perfectly in that, I mean, Jai was obviously able to follow. So he was our our strongest climber that day. And, you know, we can always play out both scenarios, but I think having him as an anchor on those guys kept them from getting even further away because without him there, they would have done a full on team time trial and, you know, Teo was trying to hold something back on that final climb. So I think without Jai there, they would have, he would have been minutes in the lead. And it's unfortunate for Wilco. He still had a, a good day. It's just those guys were phenomenal that day, just dropping the best climbers in the world. Um, so yeah, I think Wilco never had a bad day, but he just, it's, it was October and three weeks is a long time to race a bicycle as we see every year. And it's just his form peaked, I think a week too soon. Um, but but it was great to have Jai there and and then, in the end, playing those cards that way, we got two on the final podium instead of just one. Uh, so it's uh, it's a mixed bag, but but I'm really happy with the team's effort.
0: What was it like around the dinner table that night? I mean, you know, Jai has this amazing ride. Wilco has this opportunity, but it doesn't really work out for him. I mean, was there like i you know what's it like to be in a social situation like that where one guy has had you know, an awesome situation. And the other guys had a real setback. How do you guys handle that as a team?
2: There was not tension at the dinner table. Uh, Wilco's a pretty quiet, introverted person anyway. So if, if he was unhappy or tense, it was not apparent. Um, and he, he at the very least could acknowledge that it was a good situation for the team. Um, and happy for Jai, but yeah, it was a bit bittersweet thing for him. So I think he handled it with a lot of poise, because, um, it, yeah, it's not an enviable position to get usurped that way. Um, but, yeah, and then Jai was just super happy because it uh, far exceeded what he was hoping to achieve at the Giro.
0: When you look back on it and look at the way those final few stages played out, is there anything you guys could have done differently to win uh, the overall?
2: Our director was was doing that own thought experiment, and I think what came back to him was, um, what was it called, Madonna di Campiglio? Um, all the GC guys ended up finishing together. The climb wasn't so selective, but at that point, Jai was still a couple minutes back on GC, I think. And nobody was really responded when he attacked, and and Wilco bridged across to him to see if they could get away from the whole group. Uh, and and Wilco's response prompted everybody to to chase and shut it down. But that was an opportunity where if if we had kept Wilco with the other GC leaders and let Jai, you know see what he could do uh there they might have overlooked him in the way that carapaz was overlooked uh last year where they're like ah he's not he's not that close on gc so he can have a a chunk of time and that that would have been the difference um so that that was the only thing that our director thought might have been possible but otherwise teo and rowan were way too strong to try and attack them.
0: Yeah. It's an interesting thought experiment and you can do that with any race for sure. But that, that one with where it was so like, I mean, it was a, it was such a cool Giro where, you know, you just see like new faces and new opportunities and the snow, the snow globe really got shaken up and, and, and all these guys going for it. And so um, what can you say about Jai? I mean, he obviously showed himself to be a fantastic climber, Um, What do you think his potential is just having seen the way he composed himself during this Giro?
2: Races like that are are as difficult mentally to be a GC leader as as physically for those guys. Um, Especially the Giro, like the the race leader has to do press conferences every day and there's all the anti-doping and stuff. But Jai is such a laid back, mellow guy that I think he, that stress wouldn't accumulate quite so much for him and that he might still be pretty mentally fresh in the third week when it, when it really matters. Um, and he's, he's super competitive, but he's, he's really easygoing, So it makes it for a, a fun racing environment.
0: So Chad, we're recording this beginning in December. You guys are, uh, kind of wrapping up the off season. Um, how different, you know, knowing that the schedule for 2020 was totally screwed up and the season went much later than normal. What does the off season and then entry into the new season look like? Like how different is it compared to what you would see during a normal year?
2: Uh, for me, so my season ended really just a couple weeks later than normal, uh, with with the Giro. Whereas normally it would have been more of a tapered down into the season with with the Italian classics, maybe or Guangxi even. Um, but so to finish with a Grand Tour that way, go straight into three weeks off the bike, and and then start building back up again. The build back has been a little bit different than I would normally do because I think there's still some residual Giro fitness. So normally it would start with some moderate intervals right away, but it's it's really just some uh, some base miles, old school base miles uh, to start up. So I think it, it's – I mean the data and analytics are so advanced now that they can track our cumulative training load and all that. Uh, so it's, it's not changed so much really uh, for me personally.
0: Are there guys – who you think it will be trickier for, like specific style guys, classics guys, you know, Welta guys, anyone who this this off season and build is going to be like a real deviation from the norm? I think the
2: guys that that went full gas the entire Welta uh, might be a little bit different because you have you have to take time off. It was a long season; you have to take that break. But the race was so late ending that you also need to start building back up pretty soon. But I'm not sure what their training exactly looks like. It's probably more really easy base miles even even later, but I'm not certain.
0: Interesting. You know, Chen. one of the stories I'm keeping an eye on is um, the impact of the 2020 shutdown on USA youth uh, youth development. You know, all these guys and gals missed out on racing in Europe, no world championships, no nationals, sort of like a whole year lost, yet they continue Mm -hmm. to age on. You know, I'm curious when you look at your own, Progression through junior, U twenty three, collegiate, like, what words of wisdom would you have? What advice would you have to you know young up and coming riders who lost an entire year of racing and lost the ability to like show themselves um, at that Devo level?
2: Yeah, it's tough, really, to pinpoint advice because it's it's the development programs and all that are so different from how I came through the sport. Um, I so. I think my story should be encouragement in that you, you can come to the sport a little bit later and still make it to the highest level. Um, but you know, the, the entry in world tour is trending downward pretty sharply lately. So, um, I don't myself fully appreciate the importance of those, those years where you're about to age out of junior or U23, like those, those last year guys, it's really important for them, but it, it's not something that I experienced myself. Um, uh, but I, I as far as broader life advice, it shows like keep getting your education because things can go sideways in a hurry with this sport and well any sport. But um, yeah, if, if you, if something beyond your control happens and you don't get the opportunity to show yourself, you don't get a job. Well, uh, you need an education. Yeah. So stick with that at least. Um, and, you know, there's, a I guess some encouragement is that they're not the only ones in that boat. And so, you know, talent will still show itself. As long as you can get to races, you'll still have some chances to show yourself. Um, yeah, It's it's an unenviable position to be in at the very least.
0: Yeah, and I just got off the line with your teammate Corinne, who, like you, you know, did spend some time in the USA, the collegiate ranks. And I think now a lot of people say, oh, well collegiate cycling, you know, if I have to go to collegiate, that means my trajectory is over because I'm not getting over there to Europe as much or not, you know, racing in those Devo leagues. But it sounds like there's, you know, the collegiate ranks is not the um, purgatory that some people might, might think it is.
2: I I also came up through the collegiate ranks, scrapping on a self-supported team against, you know, the varsity teams in the the nation and managed to pull out some, some top level results in nationals. So it's, if any, if nothing else, it's a great way to make friends like lifelong friends. Those are my closest friends still. Uh, But it's great racing and a good way to hone your skills and fitness for the bigger races. If you, if you think collegiate is not that big a deal.
0: Last question for you, any elements of the weird wacky 2020 season that you would like to see stick around could be scheduling changes, could be what it was like to be at the races, anything from 2020 that you actually liked?
2: Oh, it makes me sound like a grump. Uh, but I mean, getting to sign on was way easier this year. Um, Which is, I mean, it's great to have interaction with fans and it felt weird not to sign any autographs or anything or take any photos. But uh, yeah, just especially after the hard stages where you're totally cracked, like to have permission to just breeze past everybody and go straight into the bus was nice (laughs) a little bit. But if we could find some way of blending those two, you know, like. I, you, you cross the line and pick up a sign like, "Sorry, I had a bad day, no photos," and just go to the bus. Like if that, if that sort of thing was permitted, you know, on every other day, that'd be, that'd be a nice compromise.
0: What about a sign that says, "Sorry, Fred, not gonna, not gonna answer your <laughs> questions." Hey, Chad, Chad, I got, I got some questions for you. I know you're cross-eyed and you're covered in snot, but I really want to talk to you right now. Yeah, I don't know what
2: to do about that.
0: <laughs> well, there's some elements that we can't. Do take away Chad but um, you'll be surprised to know that you're not the first writer to have that similar uh, sentiment I hit them with that question like well you know kind of liked not having to like have random people come up to me and hug me and pull on my handlebars uh, before yeah. and after the stage well Chad Hag, I'll let you get back to it but um, hope to see you in 2021 thank you very much have a good one